Welcome to the Triple P Podcast, Preds, Pucks, Pinoys, hosted by Justin Bradford and Matt Best. Hello and welcome to Triple P, Preds, Pucks, Pinoys, Justin Bradford, Matt Best. It's been a little bit, but hey, we hit you with a lot of episodes and we needed some time off. So <laughs> very blunt. I I, I did. I, I've been I've been hitting the hitting the grind uh, with day job and everything like that, and then and, and getting ready and enjoying the off season a little bit, and been really busy as well. I mean, hey, tomorrow I'm going to be enjoying the Music City Grand Prix in downtown Nashville. I got tickets with my buddy Patton. Got GA tickets. We're going to be exploring all throughout the the whole area of downtown and exploring all the things that are going to be going on in downtown Nashville. The Music City Grand Prix. I heard them practicing today from my office. It I saw laps. clips on Twitter and it is wild. Oh, Watching yeah. them go over the bridge. Oh that's yeah, that's crazy to me. It looks like oh. so much fun. Just here, being downtown, walking to my parking garage, and hearing. Oh yeah. While traffic and rush hour is also going. Pretty yeah. interesting, but I mean, excited to see the Saturday part has Trans Am series. It has a couple of practices. Has a SRO GT qualifying as well has a couple concerts a fireworks show i mean it's a pretty big saturday and then the big race happening on sunday i'll be watching that from home uh because that was not a 50 dollars ticket for the day <laughs> that is a little more than a 50 dollars ticket for the day a little bit a little bit but really excited for this event to be in nashville it's, it's i never expected nashville to get a grand prix like this so it's really exciting to have this happening in the city and so many big things have been happening in nashville it's been really cool to see the sports part of things growing with this city. So you think back to bring it back to what we're all about in terms of the predators, a lot of the started just with the Preds and the Titans. I mean, back to the late nineties and what that did for downtown Nashville to have pro sports teams. And you see that with so many different towns that as soon as they get professional sports, especially in the expansion era of like the nineties and two thousands, when a team, when a city gets professional sports, what happens? Cause it puts them on the map. People move there. Businesses want to move their businesses sponsor. They get involved in the community. We've just seen that grow so much with downtown Nashville that, hey, Bridgestone, North America, their headquarters is downtown. So they have like window wraps. It's right next to the Skirmerhorn where my day job is right now. And you just see all the IndyCar stuff uh, right there and the big Firestone tires and all this right there, too. So it's it's pretty cool to see how much the city's growing in that matter, not in terms of the bad tourism manner, but in terms of the sports matter and what it's attracting and putting Nashville on the map where people want to have their big events there. And yeah. man wants to travel there. <laughs> I, it, like, it's just, it opens up more eyes and to the city as a whole. It used to be when I visited Nashville, it was like my little secret kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, well, everyone knows and it's not as cool oh, yeah. anymore. But I mean, you and I have talked about this off air about like what Nashville has kind of turned into compared to like the gem it used to be, where it's like over marketed now, which sounds bad at first glance, but when you actually dive into it, it's like, yeah, maybe a little bit. We've talked about how you hate those uh those what are they? Like the bike taverns? The the pedal taverns or anything that's transportainment. <laughs> they can go all fall off a cliff. <laughs> See, to me right now, like no beer. I'm like, eh, I get it. That's fine. But if I had a couple of beers and I was downtown Nashville and I saw one, I'd be like, me want on, please. <laughs> nope. Not happening for me. I do not want any part of it. Well, okay. Did you hear about this news story, Matt, that a passenger fell off one of those transportation vehicles and got run over? Crushing run over his by, legs. Run over by what? Like a vehicle? By, by the transportainment vehicle that was carrying him. Oh, shit. Yes. That sucks. It's a mess. As I'm it's giggling a... about it. I know. It's it's Oh, it's I mean, was he wasted? 
probably, probably. But, but even then, like, that's no excuse. That means that the responsibility is on the entertainment company do you not to make sure their waiver? passengers are safe. I'm sure they do. But yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, Matt's, Matt's, don't be stupid. Stay on the bike. Matt's like, F around and find out. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I really wanted to say. Oh, my gosh. Anyways. There's been plenty going on in Nashville. Even in the offseason, the Preds have been busy in terms of re-signing. There is only one player really now that is going to be going to arbitration because Dante Favreau, they got their thing figured out. Uh, so Yusuf Saros still up next. And it's interesting to see. There's been some articles or an article that my radio station posted and then took down after they got bombarded with comments that it is a bad look for the Predators to go to arbitration with Saros. Like, it's the business this is part of the oh. business. Most, the majority of teams and players reach an agreement before they ever get to arbitration is just, it is part of the business to come to an agreement. Both sides have their numbers that they're thinking of. And then they come to an agreement because the player is always going to go high or the player's agent is always going to go high. The team's going to go low. That's just how it happens. Yeah. You're trying to find a compromise. If you're finding a regular job, typically you're like, say, what's your salary range? Well, here's this. I'm like, mm, you know what? I really would like this because I feel like I'm worth this. It's a, that's what happens it's the same yeah. thing it's just this is put in a bigger spotlight because professional sports and everybody knows how much the player is going to be making but it is ridiculous to me to think that this makes either side look bad it's because that saros is more of a star player now i think if anything else and people just are, still aren't used to that but it is something that is normal it happens there are negotiations that happen all the time it's just given his contract situation as an rfa this is an option if he weren't an rfa they just wouldn't have him signed right now. He'd just be in a holding pattern to extend, kind of like how Ekholm and Forsberg are going to be in a holding pattern, whether they're going to extend or not. But anyways, before we get on to our questions, Matt, anything to add to that first about Saros and the arbitration, potentially? I, it just makes me think, like, there's a not a divide, but what does each side want? Because mm-hmm. it just makes me think, like, if I'm the GM, I'm all for a bridge deal here. I think a bridge right. deal is the best way to go because your optimal long-term short money deal just doesn't happen because that's just how the business is. Mm-hmm. But it's just crazy to me that, not crazy, it's just kind of peculiar to me that there's been no leak that they've been close on a bridge. And I know the Preds front office is super tight-lipped and everything. It's just peculiar to not know are they going for a bridge? Are they going for a long-term deal? Because usually when things like this happen, like the Darnell nurse thing, everyone oh, right. knew for weeks that Darnell was looking for like six plus. Well, he got eight. Like he got a long contract. And it's not to say like, I need to know every detail, but what's happening in the Preds front office. It's just things like that are usually leaked out despite how tight lipped your organization is. So to me, it feels like maybe one side's aiming for a bridge. The other side is aiming for well, you've got Askarov coming, and I know you do, so uh, you're going to sign me for longer kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. That's what I think is kind of going on here, where the front office wants to be smart and go, we're going to bridge you and see what happens. So it's just it's interesting to me. Oh, absolutely. So uh, on another one, one of the players that was going to be going to arbitration, but they got the deal figured out, is just one of those things they had to make the decision of arbitration or not. It's similar to like the Granlin thing. of Granlin's going to go to the open market. Granlin has resigned. <laughs> Dante Fabra is going to go to arbitration. Dante Fabra has resigned. I mean, it's just, it, that's how it happens because you have deadlines that you have to get to. But Dante Fabro does resign uh, two years, uh, 4.8 mil, so 2.4 each. 
decent race for him. Obviously expected that he's going to be totally on the second pairing with Matthias Ekholm. And it looks like Carrier would be on the first pairing with Saros, uh, Saros with Yossi. Dear God, <laughs> Justin. It is a little, it's only 1024 too. But Dante Fabio, some, here's, here's the thing for me. This is a bridge deal. This is definitely a bridge deal oh, yeah. for Dante Fabro. I mean, 100% bridge deal. It's what do you have, kid? Prove it to us if you're ready here, because if you do prove it to us, then you're obviously going to get a big raise after these two years. If not, then we're probably going to let you walk. Yeah. Uh, is what's going to we'll happen. Bridge here. You, like year by year by year. Or yeah, year by year. And then probably won't be happy. Both sides won't be able to come to an agreement and be happy. Then they just part ways. So Dante Fabro has plenty of potential to be a solid, I'd say a solid top four defenseman. He truly does. And People are so quick to judge a defenseman. We saw this so much. We saw it with we saw it with Seth Jones that people yep. were just like shitting on Seth Jones, his rookie year, and especially his sophomore year when he's with the Predators. And it's like, he's going to be a solid defenseman. Do I think he's worth his contract right now? No. No. But he's still a top-pairing defenseman uh, <laughs> in, in, this, in, the, in the National Hockey League. Dante Fabro, don't think he's going to be there, but a solid second-pairing defenseman, a long career as a solid second-pairing defenseman is still there potentially he is not ass he is not shit he does not suck he is young <laughs> he is a kid still and he came out of college directly into the pros he is 23 years old shut your asses up and let him develop a little bit and let's see what he's made of before all of a sudden he's shit get him off the team he's not even worked out what are you paying him that much for blah 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 blah, blah. hot take hot take bullshit I, bullshit i just think that the way the nhl goes now is that all these kids come up at like 19 20 21 years old and you expect them to be dynamite right. superstars right like Pedersen comes out of nowhere really because he was a he was a high draft pick by the canucks but it was like you should be a few years away and then he was just dynamite uh, Kale McCarr, all these guys coming out of nowhere and just being dominant early, early in their careers. But Dante Fabro is just going through the traditional career path of that of a young defenseman where ages like 22 to 25 is where you'll really figure out what his actual ceiling is. And then he'll peak around 26, 27. You can get signed to a ludicrous contract at 28. <laughs> like that's how this NHL works now. Um, not everyone's going to be your Kale McCarr. Not everyone's going to be that kind of player that pops out of nowhere. And I just think when people associate potential plus young plus defenseman, they go, well, this guy did it. This guy did it over here. He came out of nowhere. Why can't we have that right now? It's just that's not the way it goes. With Fabro, like you said, top four is what I see. Um, Top four fringe, not top two, but like can fill in on the top pairing if needed kind Uh of thing. I just think Fabro needs some seasoning. I think he needs a full like – stick it out in the NHL year. Like not a, don't, don't get dropped down to bottom six minutes. Uh, don't get bumped up to top two minutes unless you really need it kind of thing, but he just needs a consistent partner and uh, he would benefit so greatly from having a guy. And he got signed yesterday. If you're listening to this on the seventh a guy like Adam Pellick, who got signed with the Islanders, one of the like premier shutdown defensemen in the league. He helps that Islanders decor actually contribute a bit of offense because he can just sit there and be a nuisance on defense. If Dante Fabro kind of had that cheat code with him, then it'd be <laughs> a lot better. And I know people will be like, well, he got to play with Roman Yossi. It's very different playing with Roman Yossi compared to just a pure defensive defenseman, right? Like right. Yossi is a Norris winner and Pellick will never win a Norris because he can't put the puck in the net. But he just needs a bit of help. Now, I'm not saying go out there and panic just to push up Fabro. Because Fabro's got to do something. He's got to prove his own worth here. It's just I'd like to see a bit more help. 
And I think in John Hines' system, after a full year, Fabro's going to actually be able to do something because they're a little more defensive sound compared to the old run-and-gun kind of days. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. I mean, the Predators had lots of injuries and the blue line last year. So it was there was zero consistency in terms of pairings overall through the season, and Fabro was a part of that. I mean, he didn't have a consistent – consistency where he's being paired when he was consistently paired with Ekholm his first year I liked it and if we look at production in 64 games in his first year he had 11 points five goals six assists in 40 games he had 12 points so in terms of pacing he was on pace to have a better offensive production year in his sophomore year even though he slumped and was scratched for the playoffs so it is it plus he was dealing with an injury we're not sure exactly where that was but this is his bridge deal. It's a time to prove it, but he doesn't suck. He's not no, God awful. You don't give him up for pucks, a bag of pucks. He's a first round pick. He's your 17th overall pick. And he is a defenseman that needs some seasoning. And then after these two years, then you evaluate, then you know where he's at because then he's going to have four years under the, under his belt for the NHL. You know what you have then you really truly do know what you have. You've got to get a defenseman in their third and fourth year to truly see where their development is going, especially with a guy that's not a top five pick. I mean, is it 17th overall? He went to college, takes a little bit of seasoning too, but he also has world experience too, playing for team Canada in multiple different areas. So, I mean, he's been in the spotlight before he can handle it. Um, I'm confident Dante Fabro to just be a solid second pairing defenseman. And that's going to be fine. Yeah. Okay. Up next, let's go to our questions here. We had a few questions come in. This one comes from John Lee. I know we've already addressed a little bit of sorrows, but let's get these questions out of the way. Uh, with most of the RFA contracts done, only big ones outstanding being Saros and Tolvanen, how do you feel about the money spent on them? Matt? Fair, I think is the right word here. I'd, uh, I don't think there's any contract that I look at and I go, that's bad. I don't like that kind of thing. I, I just think no. every contract has been fair so far. They've been smart contracts. They've been bridge deals where you need to bridge. There hasn't been the contract being handed out of, well, that's a high risk. Like there, that just hasn't happened yet. And there's nothing that's locked up long-term. Everything is still like the core is very flexible is the point I'm trying to get at still. There's nothing that you have to hold on to for eight years at $8 million a player. Um, <laughs> it's just very fluid where these pieces can be traded just like a Dante Fabro. Let's say right. after this year, uh, Davey steps up and looks better than Fabro. Then Poyle has that year of Fabro that he can go, I can shop this at the deadline. Someone wants to take a flyer on that. I can get some picks. I can do this. I can do that. The flexibility is there. Um, most of my criticism will come when Tolvanen and Soros get signed. Those will be my two big critique pieces. Because you and I have been waiting on that news. These all other small deals, as long as Poyle didn't do something catastrophic, which he didn't, I'm I'm okay with it. He gets a, just a solid, good passing grade for what he's done so far. Yeah, I mean, we look at Matthew Olivier. Yep. Cool. Tanner Janot. Yep. Cool. Rem Pitlick. Okay. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these are like near league minimum deals that yeah. we didn't expect anything different. I mean, it still is funny. Tanner Janot's deal, yet he was protected. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's I mean, just, I he's at 800,000 cap hit for two years, and he was protected. Yeah. There we go. But, yeah, so I think it's fair. These have been decent deals. The, the ones that you – the Dante Faber one, I think, is, is fair as well. That's one of the – that's the first one where you actually had to, like, okay, is this fair? And then it's the like, Tolvanen and Saros one. $2.4 million a yeah. year for a guy who could potentially be a very good top four defenseman making 
close to six if he peaks like at the right time kind of thing. Yeah, and you got you traded away a lot of your cap space to have the ability to give some of these contracts, so they have flexibility, and flexibility is what you want as well. Yeah. Okay, let's see. This one comes from Kyle. (laughs) What to do with the middle six, and how great is Haru's Yager mullet? Middle six is uh, peculiar to me. I think we can have a lot of fun with the middle six because – you and I like a bunch of different prospects to come up and play kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The middle six is where I see a mix. As long as I can see a Cody glass, a Philly Tomasino, I'd like to see a Rem Pitlick in that middle six as well. Mm-hmm. Those are three of the guys that like out of the regulars we've talked about that actually got to play in the lineups, the Cunnins, the cousins, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the guys I want to see get a shot in the middle six. I yeah. don't want to see Tolvanen in the middle six. I want to see him on the top line. like that's not up for debate whatsoever uh cody glass i want to see at 2c or 3c billy tomasino i want to see on either the wing of the second line or the third line and i wouldn't mind like not thrusting tomasino into the second line over cunning immediately because i think cunning deserves that shot but the ice time is not going to be that different if we know the way john hines coaches He's pretty even with how he rolls out his lines. Right. There's not a lot of like, this is my generic scoring line. This is my second line that gets slightly less. This is my third line that gets slightly less. Whatever lines are rolling hot, he will play. Like it does not matter what number it is. So I think the term middle six is just like <laughs> who gets to stick on the roster kind of thing instead of who gets to like fluctuate between lines. Give me glass. Give me Tomasino. Give me Pitlick up there as well. Those are the three like main guys I want to see there. Um, surprises, Afanasiev would be a really nice surprise. I would enjoy oh, yeah. that. But like, who are you going to bump out a Nick Cousins? No, if he has have... a good camp though, because I mean, Afanasiev has been playing pro in in Russia and everything. So you never know; he could have a stellar camp and at least get a look. I think I think yeah. Afanasiev is one of those guys that might get a look, um, and he's going to get a plenty of preseason time. Mm-hmm. Just like Tomasino, they're going to be working those guys big time in the preseason to see where they're at. Um, along with you're get obviously Cody Glass getting plenty of preseason time. Ellie Tolvin is getting plenty of preseason time. So to know, if anything, there are going to be true roster battles this year for the first time in a, in a long time for the Predators. There's a lot of spots that aren't safe and secure. You might be on the, you might know you're going to make the roster, but you don't know if you're going to be playing every night. There's going to be some true battles for actual playing time, which is what you want out of young guys. They have to battle. That's just going to make them all better. It feels like at this point, we know the front runners of who we think should make it kind of thing. Yes. But compared to a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning, compared to a team like the Hurricanes, like all these upper echelon teams where you know basically other than like two slots, who's going to be in the lineup kind of thing, Mm -hmm. where it wouldn't surprise me, honestly, if Tomasino didn't make the team. Do I want him to? Yeah, because I think he has all the talent in the world. It wouldn't surprise me if Cody Glass, for some reason, is on the fourth line for and Sissons is up right. kind of thing, right? Like, it, none of these things would shock me. What would shock me is that if Glass, Tomasino, and Pitlick, all three of them, don't make opening uh, night, that would right. shock me. Like, you got to think at least one of those guys are going to make it. I wouldn't mind a surprise based on how pl- uh, training camp goes and how everything else goes, how preseason goes. That's fine with me. But I, I want to see, like you said, the opportunity be at least given in that middle six. You, there's no need to throw someone up in top line because that's pretty much already set in stone. Now, you, you did not answer the most important part of this question, though. Oh, it's great. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> were, did, were you surprised that uh, Zach Larousse, uh was the first signed 
draft pick out of this class? No, because he was like the most sure thing out of everyone. <laughs> like, well, we know what you're going to give to the team, so here's your money. It, it doesn't oh, surprise me, but like with all the crap that I've been given uh, ZLH, I'm like, he seems genuinely happy to be in Nashville. Right. Fans are already embracing him kind of thing. So <laughs> I wish all the success for him, but I just <laughs> don't agree with where he was drafted. That's, that's all right. the only qualm all right. I have. All right. This one comes from Matt Bernier. If you were to sign both Tolvanen and Saros, uh, what do you get for the contract? He says he would do three by three for Saros and a two by four for Tolvanen. Uh, I would be more along the lines of doing a three by four for Saros. It's probably what he's going to want oh, closer. I think Saros is uh, getting yeah. more than four. Or, or the, I mean, yeah. So three by three is way too little for Saros and Tolvanen. I would say more like a two by 2.5 or three. At Peter Morazic got just over three and he's been a very solid goalie on a crappy Red Wings team and a defensively poor Carolina team. Freddie Anderson had the worst year of his career last year and signed for over $5 million in Carolina. Those are my <laughs> comps off the top of my head. Like I don't have a sheet up in front of me or anything. Right. Uh, Saros thrusted the Predators into the playoffs. And if uh, Freddie Anderson on one bad year can still make over $5 million, you see Saros on one hell of a year can make, I think, three or four by five and a half. Okay, yeah. Like, that wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. And honest to God, if he comes out and he goes, I want three years, five and a half per, you sign it. You, oh, yeah. Like, well, you get the cap space now, too. You, you yeah. have the cap space. You have the flexibility. You're not messing up your window or anything. You have Askarov in the wings kind of thing. That's the perfect amount of a contract. Now, if Poyle signs a Soros to a six-year deal or a seven-year no, deal no. or an eight-year deal. I am the most anti-long-term contracts to goalies person you will ever meet in your life. I think they suck. It's fun in expansion draft because it opened up the carry price possibility, but that just, that doesn't happen if you sign those long-term deals, right? right? Like I don't reach anything over four or five years is what I want out of, out of a goalie. Yep. Five and a half is fair to me though. And then Tolvanen, I mean, I think uh, that, Two by four is too much for Tolvanen. I two by three and a quarter. Yeah, yeah. Two by four, I just think is too much for him, especially if you're if you're bridging a guy like him. Yeah, if you're four millions, a lot. Especially, I mean, also would not surprise me if he got a one year deal. Well, right, but I mean, here here's my thing: you you don't sign Tolvanen. To a four million dollar deal when his previous cap it was only less than a mil. No, I. If you're so, going to sign him to a four million deal, you're signing him at term then, not two years. Right. You're going to give him a bit of term, where you're going to get like if it was three by four, then sure, three by four, I'm okay with. Even because then, that's when that competitive window starts to open in that third year, I think. Yeah, but but even then, I still think that's too much because you still don't exactly know what you have with Ellie Tolvanen. He showed a lot of potential last season. But it needs to be a true bridge. Uh, I would like to. I would like to see a one-year deal. I'd be like, okay, kid, That's, yeah. you really go prove it. We'll pay you if you get these. If you reach these goals, we're going to set for you here, or at least show the improvement and show that potential there as well. You're going to have a payday at the end of the season. I'd rather wow. see that instead of seeing a two or three-year deal at four. Honestly, best case scenario is a one-year deal where it's a yeah, go prove yourself. He has an okay year. You see mm-hmm. growth. You see some development. And then you bridge him for another two and you do and like bam. two. By, then you can bridge him by two by four then. If right. he shows it in this upcoming year that 
there's some growth, there's some progression. Then that two by four is fine. Then when that competitive window opens and you go Tolvanen's part of our core, mm -hmm. bam, you lock him up long term. Mm -hmm. That's like the best case scenario. Because the worst case, honestly, is you give him the one year deal. He comes out and scores 85 points and you go, oh, <laughs> shit. Now what do I do? <laughs> But uh, I think the one-year deal, based on his progression, a one-year deal is fair. Bridge him after yeah. that, long-term after that, if like everything is dandy. All right. Daniel asks, does this whole rebuild feel middling, just like the Predators always have been? Well, here's the thing. It's not a full rebuild. And I'm not saying that I'm trying to go with along with what David Paul's saying is this competitive rebuild. It's not a rebuild because the action's taken. If this was a full rebuild, they would have traded – more quote-unquote star players for more picks or prospects and loaded up on those. They did a tiny bit of that by trading out Ryan Ellis and bringing in Cody Glass and Phil Myers, but that's not a full rebuild. A full rebuild is when you are selling things when they have value and you are getting things in return that you will see value on in two to three years. That is not what this is. This is David Poyle still trying to make the playoffs but oh, knowing yeah. that they're going to have to skirt their way in and it's going to take some things clicking very well, but that's what they call it a competitive rebuild because they still feel like they can make the playoffs with what they have. A full rebuild is accepting that you're going to be a little bad and that it's going to be challenging for a couple of years while knowing you're also probably going to get higher draft picks because of those challenges. There is zero acceptance of being mediocre or a poor team from this organization right now. David Poyle's intention is to still make the playoffs and hope something special happens. So we can't call this a rebuild. That's why it feels middling because it's not a rebuild. If it was a full rebuild, Matt and I would have plenty to talk about. I think we'd be a little more excited too to see the potential of things that could be happening. But that's not happening right now. There, there's, there's no rebuild going on. This is just they retooled to be a little bit younger and hope that things click well enough they can skirt in as a wild card and make something special happen once again. And I think you opened my eyes to it too when we were talking a few months ago about this. If the Predators had ownership that had a lot of money and could survive a, like a full-on rebuild, right. then you'd see a rebuild. With the fact that they signed Granlund, the fact that they didn't get rid of Philly Forsberg, the fact that they still have those $8 million anchors, Roman Yossi still on the team. And it's not that I'm asking Roman Yossi to get traded. It's just if you're going to rebuild, you're likely going to just sell everything off like the Ottawa Senators did and really accept your fate and then go for it. The Sens, even though they're one of Canada's poorest market in Canada, one of Canada's poorest markets, they can still do it because they're in Canada and they can accept that and they can still go <laughs> despite that arena being a hellhole. Um, it it sucks. Like I honestly like I, I agree with Daniel. If I'm a fan of the Preds and I know the draft prospects coming up within the next three years and how loaded these draft classes are, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I want to rebuild. But I also <laughs> want the team to stay in town. And not and that's an extreme. I know that's an extreme. Right. But if you suck for too long and the fans really don't come, it's a possibility that you're just going to run out of money. It's not that players don't want to come to Nashville to play. It's that there might not be a Nashville team to play in if there's no revenue being created, especially with the pandemic. Now, if there's no pandemic for the last two years going on, then I think Nashville can stomach a rebuild. I truly do. But because they bled money due to COVID, it's a little harder. Now, I think there is a better way, honestly, to do a competitive rebuild instead of really aiming for that bottom seed. You don't sign Grandland. You don't do well, Right, that. yeah. Right? Like, there's some players on here you just don't pick up. You, you maybe trade them into a sec home. 
with your Ryan Ellis. You maybe trade both of them kind of thing and let the young guns do their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you, do you like bring in Cody glass, loved it. Having the opportunity for Philly Tomasino to get to play, like it. Having Myers there, like it. Carrier's going to get a full-time role kind of thing. All these things I enjoy. It's just when you sign Grandland, the competitive rebuild, I don't even want to call it a rebuild. It's just a retinker. It's a, this team is going for what they were trying to do last year as well, and that's make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But this time with less of a miraculous route there. They, they feel like they have a sure thing now in UC Saros. They feel like they have a good backup goaltender, not saying Pekka was bad or anything. I'm just saying they feel like they have a good combination now kind of thing. Uh, it, it's not a competitive rebuild. I, I don't think that's the right phrase. I don't like anything with rebuild in it, unless you say nada before rebuild. That's not <laughs> what we're doing here. It's just position, position yourselves to barely make the playoffs, make a bit of money and then draft 15th to 19th again. All right. I, I agree. That's, and that's, we tell it like, like it is. That's, that's how we see it. That's, yeah. We'd, we'd love for them to suck for three years and draft top five for the next three. Can you imagine if that, like there's oh so much potential in these upcoming draft class that if they were able to pull that off, then this team's cup window. <laughs> Big, huge. Yeah. But it's like, not going to happen. So let's not even talk about what ifs. Anyways, before we have to go, uh, wanted to introduce us a, a segment here because we talk about TV all the time and everything too. I, I know someone requested it, but I do not have Apple TV, so I've not been able to watch this and That's I have so enough funny. streaming networks right now and I have enough to watch that. I just, I will get to this eventually. There's so many things I will get to eventually, but I'm just loaded with Marvel content other things right now as well, because Hey, we have Marvel's what if coming out next week. And then in just a few weeks in September, we'll have Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings, which I'm very pumped to get in. They're very hard on the advertising train for that now. Once it has Black Widow now has, has run its course. Very excited about Shang-Chi and then plenty more coming after that. I did see Jungle Cruise and I thought it was very fun. That was a fun, fun yeah, I film. Need, I, I need to see it. It looks like fun. It's the pure Disney humor, the Disney World humor or Disneyland humor from Jungle Cruise was totally incorporated and also Emily Blunt is a treasure. Uh, so there's that. But Matt, what have you been watching? Uh, I have been staying up until midnight Thursday, switching into Friday for Ted Lasso every single week. Um, I, I don't like soccer. Like, that's just not my thing whatsoever. Uh, I, I never played it growing up. Always thought it was like my least favorite sport. If we had to play it at <laughs> recess kind of thing, just never cared for it. So I didn't watch season one of Ted Lasso until like months after it was already done or week by week kind of thing. And someone just said to me, they're like, I don't care that you don't like soccer. Shut the hell up. Just watch the show. I finished Ted Lasso season one in about two days, if two days, maybe a day. Like it just hooked me. Jason Sudeikis is the most wholesome individual that you will ever (laughs) listen to. The cast is just phenomenal. There are so many feel good moments. There is so much like there's humor for everyone, really. There's like good family humor. There is some sexual humor, which is very absurd to me, like that it goes from such a wholesome moment and then like a dick joke. And I'm like, oh, okay, I can get down with this kind of thing. Um, It's a soccer series, but it just takes the human interest to a whole other level. Uh, Season two started off like season or episode one of season two is kind of subpar, but episodes two and three have just been phenomenal. They've been so good, like the Ted Lasso that I know and love and enjoy. There's so much character progression. Um, it's just, it's a top 
three show for me all time now, if not top two. Like, it's just... I've heard that from a lot of people. Yeah, it's it's literally captured me to the point where I'll text my buddy on Thursday and be like, so are we watching this at midnight together? Like, are we going to stream this and watch <laughs> and just laugh our asses off kind of thing? And then we'll both watch it again by ourselves during the week and be like, oh, did you catch this? Did you catch that? And it, it's just, it's so damn good. You don't even need to be a sports fan. If you're right. not a sports fan, you're listening to us. Thank you. Yeah. But like, it, it's it's so damn good. I know our buddy Kyle Perkins is watching it too, and he loves it. Like it's it's so damn good. This is what I know is that it is not a soccer show. It's a it's a human interest show. Yeah, that's based around like soccer is a part of it, but it's not a soccer show. And that's what makes it so overly enjoyable to so many people. And that's why I know I need to watch it and I will get to it. I promise I'm not against it. I will get to it. But I've heard so many wonderful things about it. How it's just as a feel good program. Yeah, like there there's points. There's a scene that happens in season one. I'm not. I'm not going to say the whole scene. Also, I just burped. I had shawarma for dinner. Um, I'm not going to say the whole scene, but there's a, a part where Ted plays darts. And if you know what I'm talking about, you audibly probably went, oh, yeah. Oh, shit. That was such a good scene. It is one of my favorite scenes in television history, and I'm very excited wow. for you to watch it. Wow. All right. Well, <laughs> for me, what I've been watching is on Netflix, and it is the Movies That Made Us season two. So if you've been a listener of the show, you know that I love nerd documentaries and this is season two. The first season had movie like Home Alone, which was fantastic. This season has Back to the Future, Jurassic Park, Forrest Gump and Pretty Woman. I've watched the first I've watched three of them, Back to the Future, Jurassic Park and Forrest Gump. And it is fantastic in terms of the people they get here. We're talking about it's not really the actors involved in the movie it's the behind the scenes staff it's the producers it's the directors it's the 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 script writers things like that in terms of what really went on to make these movies happen and how many iterations they went through i mean think about these are movies that we watched as kids and didn't you have to think about what had to happen for these movies to, to, to be made for instance back to the future was supposed to be uh spaceman from from pluto was the original name of it and the, the premise was completely different from what it ended up being. There was originally the time machine was supposed to be a refrigerator. <laughs> Not a DeLorean. I'm just, I'm just thinking about the movie now and like how iconic the DeLorean is. Right. And if someone was just like the fridge, I'd be like, what the hell? And and this is this is I didn't know this until I did even more research too. The original Marty McFly in Back to the Future was Eric Stoltz. Oh, that's weird. They filmed a good chunk of the movie with him before finally replacing him with Michael J. Fox, who had they had to get special permission from his producer for Family Ties to get him to come out and do this. So they had to reshoot a lot of scenes and they had to they had to strategically reshoot reshoot some scenes to where like the dinner table scene when after he's run over by the car, right? And he's having dinner with his mom who has the hots for him and there's sections of that scene where they're actually reshooting just him without the people around him and placing him back into the film because they didn't have the availability to reshoot the entire part oh wow i I did not know that that's how deep they got into the film before they replaced the actor like without michael j fox in that it doesn't make it it's not a good movie michael j fox and no or no michael j fox and no delorean exactly doesn't make the movie and then Jurassic Park, uh, the 
and a lot of people know about these, but the special effects and how they originally were going to do stop motion with claymation. Ew. That's what they're originally going to do before you, you know, there were a couple CGI artists who basically developed the CGI for this. They developed CGI and made it happen enough to where they impressed Spielberg and Lucas say, no, this is what we're going to do. Go work on it, animate it. Like they had to do it behind the scenes and behind the backs of people from the movie to show CGI could work for this. And so imagine Jurassic Park where they would have to do like the motion blur for for animation and everything for stop motion. How much it would have changed the movie we would never like never would have watched it kind of thing no no and so it's it's just crazy to think about some of these things and forrest gump how forrest gump almost didn't get made multiple times and how is actually uh bob zemeckis and tom hanks put forward a ton of their money because the studio kept trying to cut money from it and you think about how much of a blockbuster forrest gump was yet they put in their own money to make it happen because they're trying to cut everything they're trying to cut the running scene all those scenes no. from him running they're going to try to cut that they're going to try to cut so much stuff. And it's that, that's what I enjoy about this. You learn so much behind the scenes about these films. And I highly recommend it. If you love movies, if you love learning about these things, if you, if you love learning about the tea behind Hollywood and pop culture too, I highly recommend the movies that made us. And there's only four episodes per season. I still need to watch a Pretty Woman one. Uh, but it's a fantastic series on Netflix. Netflix is doing a great job with a lot of these documentaries. And they get a lot of people as well i mean they even have for the force company they had gary sinise uh in it and they're oh, able wow. to talk about how actually his role as lieutenant dan is what inspired him to now work with veterans with disabled veterans and start his foundation the gary sinise foundation is his role in the movie i didn't realize that i thought he just always wasn't very you know gung-ho and wanted to help disabled veterans no his role in this film because of what it did for representation of disabled mm. veterans to show the struggles they go through and how they can come through it that's what got him so involved because he was invited and awarded from a disabled veterans foundation and rep- to represent. And they awarded him um, with, with an award, I forgot what it was called, but that's what got him going to start. I did foundation. not know that. I, I knew yeah. he had a foundation, but I thought it was just like you said that he, like was, he was always about it is involved. Yeah, and... no, it's a role in a movie. Imagine that changed him that much. That's wild. So, and plus the special effects too, on how they made it to where his legs were missing was pretty wild too, how they had to get creative with that with, props and stuff so again if it's a really good series they're only like 45 minutes long each so it's not like you're sitting down for an hour and a half long movie documentary it's it digests really easily and it's a lot of fun so that's what i've been watching and the bad batch bad batch is wrapping up season two-part season finale and then we'll have a season two so yay oh and uh shout out if you want to laugh i think you should leave season two is very very funny on netflix oh okay but to say, yeah. like, what do you mean you think I should leave? Oh, yeah, it's you know, just, right. just, yeah. just go. Uh, if you like sketch comedy, yeah, that is it is for you. It's uh, ridiculous is the right way to put it, right. actually. All right, folks. Well, if we missed anything, let us know. Obviously, as soon as you saw signs, we'll have a reaction episode on that. And we'll make sure we're bringing at least one episode a week uh, straight up until camp, which camp is going to start in about a holy shit, about a month. Yeah, we're fast approaching. (laughs) Yeah, Preds Development Camp, which I have not heard anything on it. So I'm assuming it's going to be more of a private development camp internally. It's supposed to start in a week on the 15th. So yeah, we'll see if there's any updates that come from there or if media even gets invited. And if so, then we'll have reaction from that. Other than that, that's about all we have. Anything to add, Matt? No, I'm fresh out. I'm amazed my dogs have just been so good this whole time. Didn't need to go O-U-T-S-I-D-E because if I say that, they will. 
Good puppers. They've been great. Good puppers. All right, folks. Well, he's at Best of Matt. I'm at Justin B. Bradford. You can always follow us also at Triple P Podcast underscore and also Triple P Podcast on Facebook. And hey, if you want to watch, if you're listening and you want to watch us, you can always go to our YouTube channel, which yeah. is linked on our link tree, which you can find on our Twitter. I mean, there's, it's just going to take you in a circle. You can find us wherever you need to find us. All right, folks, we love interacting with you. Make sure you interact with us. Tell us what you, what you want to learn about, what you want us to talk about. And hey, format best is Justin Bradford. We'll talk to you next time. Triple V Podcast, Preds, Pucks, Pinoys. Bye. <laughs>